I built a whole new talk for Singapore. I did about $60,000 that day. My first celebrity was Eric Thomas. Then I got Seth Godin. Seth Godin, I had 3,000 people online. That's when I was able to bring in Aaron Sansoni. And I had Naomi Simpson. And I had Mark Burris. And then recently, David Goggins tour. Then Gary V event. All my life, I was insignificant. I build significance by being different. Thank you so much for doing this, um, Ethan. I really appreciate These podcasts are usually pretty casual, pretty chill. Um, I think we'll probably start with like a brief introduction of, of your story. Um, so me and the audience sort of get to know more about you. And then from there, I'll probably jump into the different parts of the story and we'll dive deeper. Sounds good. All right. Awesome. So yeah, um, Ethan, please share with me and the audience a bit about your story um, and, and sort of what you're mainly working on currently and sort of how you got to where you are today, Ethan. Yeah. So my story starts off uh, with with complete social anxiety, I couldn't speak to anyone. Had no friends. Had no uh, no one to talk to. At school, it was like it was the worst for me because I had literally no friends to rely on at lunchtime or recess. Um, I was alone pretty much all my life. University came around; it was much the same. So on my own again. Um, but my whole life, I was playing tennis, and that was my kind of outlet for the first twenty years of my life. I uh, realized that I was too I was too nervous around people to actually get a job, so I didn't want to get a job. Instead, I had to learn a skill or some skills that would help me uh, make money online and establish myself online, so I can avoid having to go into a physical office and and avoid and I could avoid people that way. Um, so I learned marketing. I learned I learned uh, social media marketing, Facebook ads, SEO, everything online. I learned it. I just I spent all my time learning, learning, learning. <laughs> Started my own business. Uh, eventually that business, that marketing company kind of got a little, it was a little bit too easy. My life was a bit too comfortable. I was, I was avoiding things that were scary and I wasn't happy with doing that. So what I did was I kind of said, what is the scariest thing I can do right now to kind of grow as a person rather than just as a business owner? And the answer was public speaking. So I set off to try to try to be a speaker. Uh, the, the scariest thing I could do was be a speaker. So I got coaches, I got mentors, I got on stages. I just kept doing the things that scared me the most. Eventually I got really quite, quite proficient at speaking and, and I was able to produce my own events. Um, Cause when I started out, I wasn't actually a good speaker. So I had to learn how to make my own events with my marketing skills, my advertising skills. I could produce my own audiences and therefore speak whenever I wanted to speak. <clears throat> and by doing that, I did many, many events over 2018, 2019, even 2020 online. And, um, that led to a few a few of the bigger tours like the Mark Burris tour, uh, the Seth Godin tour, uh, and then recently David Goggins tour. So that's been that's been the transformation, the journey over the, over the last four or five years. To be honest with you, that that's pretty much the main points. Perfect. With your first business, how old were you when you started it, and how long did you run it up to two thousand eighteen? And was it just like a marketing agency? Yes, yeah, so my first business was I think twenty sixteen. 2016, um, actually maybe even a bit earlier, maybe 2015, 2014. Uh, and, I, and that was an SEO business first. So it was search engine optimization. I was selling education around how to rank on Google and I was helping some local businesses rank on Google organically. That was for about one or two years. And then I started doing Facebook ads and funnels about 2017, 2018 was, was Facebook ads and funnels. Interesting. So prior to the speaking, you already had like sales knowledge. You knew how to um, close clients, do cold outreach. No. So um, no, because I was too nervous to call anyone or do cold outreach at all. So 
So the way that I was getting clients initially was that my first client was my actual, my um, personal trainer at the time. So because I was doing tennis, I had many um, trainers around me coaching me for tennis. So they were the first kind of clients that I had and um, like maybe two or three, and they were able to then refer me and recommend me to other people. So the way I got my clients initially was all referrals. And then it was from networking events that I went to, but those networking events, I wasn't the one networking. I would turn up and then I would have a friend there and my friend would do all the networking for me. So they would actually get clients for me and then I would just have to fulfill my the fulfill the work. So I didn't do any call outreach, any sales. I was too scared to even do that initially. Wow, that's insane. And I guess, was it easy to get them to refer you people? Like, Because like it's a bit hard to correlate SEO directly to revenue um, or was it easy for these clients? Um, look, it was, it was kind of easy. It was kind of easy, but then again, like I didn't have that many clients. So it was maybe like a handful of people only, um, but they were paying maybe one or $2,000 a month. So 10 K a month was, I was happy with that. I was fine with that. So it wasn't a lot of clients, but it was easy to sustain me. And then did you just jump into the deep end and go straight to speaking or did you run both things concurrently? Well, I had to have something to speak about. So when I wanted to be a speaker, I had to obviously sell something to make money. So I I got rid of the SEO because it was much harder to sell, much harder to fulfill, much longer term results. And I focused all my attention on advertising and, and funnel building because it was easy to get an ROI quicker. So I, yeah, I went straight into speaking from there and started selling Facebook ads and funnels. Um, when I kind of got good at those, I started selling that on stage. Interesting. Tell me about your very first speaking gig that you put together. Like how big was the room? How much did it cost? Um, How many people showed up? Did you run Facebook ads to get them to show up? And then what was your offer in the end? The first event that I personally put together, so not my first like invite gigs, but the first one that I put on together was in Colorado Springs. So why was it in Colorado Springs? Because, um, so to give you context, I, again, I couldn't sell, couldn't, couldn't, I was scared to even think about selling. So I was still very, I was, I just wanted to speak. I was scared of everything else. So one of my coaches wanted to help me and and, luck, and luckily enough, I had great coaches that wanted to help me. So, so he basically said, you come to Colorado where he lives around there. You come to Colorado, I will sell for you and we'll try to make this work together initially. So I go to Colorado 24 hours, 24 hours to get there on the, on the plane um, I do plenty of Facebook ads. So it's all uh, Facebook, Instagram ads for that, that event. I get to Colorado. It's it's May. It's May 2018, I think, or May. Yeah, May May 2019. And it's supposed to be pretty much summer in the USA, but it's actually there's, there's a blizzard. So it's it's snowing. The roads are closed. No one can get to the actual event. So I get, I get to the venue and there are about maybe 10, 15 people there at the most. Other Facebook ads do they pay a, do they buy a ticket or is it just a sign up? It was a free event. So it's just a, yeah, free, free event. So I spent about all up in, t- in terms of accommodation, travels, advertising, probably 10,000 US dollars all up. And, and as, as a beginner, that's like your whole, almost your whole bank account. Right. So, uh, I, I go to Colorado. There's, there's no one there. I make no sales. I lose pretty much everything, uh, on that, on that one event in the first one. So, it was a terrible start, but it was also a great experience. To be honest with you, it was a very fun testing learning learning curve. Um, but yeah, that was the first one. Interesting. And 
your previous or your mentors at the time, were they doing the same thing, running Facebook ads, bringing people to events? So did you already have a gist of like, how many signups would you have to make in order to for like, if do you have to do 200 signups for 50 people to shop? Did you know the ratios or were you figuring that out on your own? Good question. So I, I had clients of mine, I had one client of mine that was a great speaker. So I, I knew some of the numbers that he was getting, but I didn't, I didn't know what to expect for my numbers. I, I really had no idea. All I, all I knew was what his numbers were and, and how he was doing, but only, I was only one data point. So I wasn't, I wasn't confident in it. Wow. And then I guess, how did you learn all the different aspects? Because you have to learn the Facebook ads, you have to learn how to put together the venue and, and all that stuff. Then you need to learn how to do sort of like a webinar style sort of live event. Then you also need to put together an offer and sort of learn how to close. <laughs> um, and then you have to figure out the payment gateways, how to do payments. And is there a table where people run to? It's like so many things. Did you learn it from one coach who did everything? So, all right. So, so how I saw the first speaker. So I went to a Gary V event 2018. One of the speakers there was called JT Fox and, um, and JT was by far the best closer I've ever seen in my life. Best closer ever. And, um, I was, I had no idea what he was doing. I had no idea that he was selling something. I had no idea who he was and he sells his product and everyone's just running. Like they're rushing, they're running. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And, uh, he, he made probably like two, $3 million that day. I don't know. It was, it was just nuts. And, um, so I bought his program. That's when I got my first coaches. So JT had two day events, four day events. At those events, he would teach us how he was doing what he was doing. So he was telling, it was teaching us how he was selling. At those events, he had coaches. Um, those people were called Reggie and and Sheree and Les, and and Reggie especially helped me initially um, coach me through some of that stuff. So he was like, "Well, JT, like I I, I observed JT. I observed how he spoke and how he closed, and I, and I tried to pick up as much as I could. Right? I saw how he used the tables and all these other things, but I wasn't learning directly. He was teaching us as he was doing it." Then, then Reggie helped me get the get the room higher um, and and organize like the venue. I had no idea how to get the venue, so he organized the venue, and I just tried my best to watch how JT did it to learn how to speak. Now, when it became time to speak, I hadn't really spent any time learning structure, so I was just trying to teach content, content, content. No idea how to sell, so Reggie would go on stage and then make an offer to the audience. So he would be the one selling at the end. I would just be doing content with literally no idea other than just wanting to speak about stuff. So yeah, it was, it was honestly rough. It was honestly learning on the fly on the go, but I just wanted it so badly that I didn't really care. I just wanted to figure it out, figure it out as I went on. So it was kind of learning on the job as well as learning from JT when JT was the one speaking and selling um, in real time. That is so cool. From all your mentors, like what was your ratio of like paid mentors mentors that you just got through partnerships and sort of just organic sort of relationship built mentors? At the beginning, a hundred percent paid mentors. hundred percent. So very important. Yeah. So I paid JT, I paid JT first and that, and that gave me access to his coaches. So Reggie was, was next and I already had paid. So Reggie then helped me out. Um, Sheree I had paid for as well. So yeah, those are the, those, those are my main three people initially so i paid for all of them that's super cool and i think that just shows how it's important to sort of get mentorships um ethan when you first got into speaking how many sort of free gigs did you have to do and then how many 
gigs did you have to then pay to sort of speak at and then how many and then when did you get to a point where you could have enough experience to make your own events yes i i've I've never i've never paid to speak in an event the first the first three events were all um i was invited to speak for like 10 20 minutes as practice runs so first one was in melbourne second was in switzerland and third was in sydney and those three events were all also connected to that JT mentorship that I bought. So he had he had other events and he and he pretty much said, if you want to practice, go to those events and they'll give you some mic time to get your feet underneath you. So, you know, a lot of my start was by taking that financial risk to invest with with JT and his his organization initially. And I got those free um, gigs to practice that. Now I'd only done the, uh, the first two or three, probably the first three before I pretty much said I wanted to do my own events. And, and there was not, there was no, at, at that point, there was no more free events I could speak at. There was no more events I was going to get invited to speak at. I, I'd used my, I'd used my kind of resources up at that time. So that's when I said, let's just try and let's just bite the bullet and go for it. And um, yeah, I, I didn't, ha- I honestly didn't have the experience because I was going from a 20 minute talk to now a six hour talk with I had no idea how to do that honestly I had no clue that's crazy so you didn't even sort of get to a point where people were paying you to speak you just went straight to creating your own event yeah no one's ever paid me to speak no one's ever paid me to speak and then well what like people who want to become a speaker what is your recommended journey like a lot of people out there say do as many free speaking gigs as possible, but you took a completely different route. Do you recommend your route or what's your recommended route? So my route, my route is the route for those people that they don't care what it takes. They just want to get there. That was what, that, that's where I was. I didn't care what it took. I didn't want to go slow. I was like, I just want to get there. I don't care how long it takes, how, how quick it, how hard it is. So my recommended route now is you need to, yeah, for someone that wants to start out, I would say you've got to firstly have an I, something to sell, like an, at least an idea to have something to sell, right? And then I would literally just go straight to making your own live events. I would choose a date, like two months in advance. I would launch ads, launch funnels, and I would go live um, straight away. And these days, a lot more. There's a lot more resources out there um, and how to do it. My, literally, my whole book, the one that I wrote recently, is step by step what I would do today if I was starting from zero. I, I put it all on there. Um, and that's what I would do. I would just I would just choose a date, go live, and and launch your own event straight away. Wow! And would it be like an online event or like a physical location event first time? Uh, depends. Depends how how fast you want to learn. So online events are great for practicing with like less money, less risk, right? So in 2020, my like COVID happened, so my whole year was built on online webinars, and that year, obviously that year was when webinars were the best to do because people had to go online. Um, but in-person events, I learned a lot more. I learned a lot more in person and you can also have a much better result in person. So my advice is if you're financially kind of uh, restricted, start off online first. If you're someone that has a bit more appetite for risk and, and doesn't mind getting your feet wet, then I would say start in person and, and learn the hard way. In the online webinar space, is it still doable? Because it feels very hard because you... You run ads, you get bookings at, you know, six, seven, ten dollars a booking, then like only like twenty percent of people show up. So all of a sudden now you're paying like fifty dollars for a show up. 
and then you have 100 people, maybe you close 20%, 10%, and now your sort of cost per acquisition has just multiplied by another 10. How do you, like, it seems so difficult. How would you simplify that? Well, it's all, it's all a numbers game. So the numbers that you talk about just then, those are, those are actually great numbers. So the, the numbers that I kind of work to is if I can get $20 per registration and 20% turn up, that's $100 per person in the room. I can close, if I close 10%, I'm paying $1,000 to acquire a customer. So if I sell a $3,000 product, I'm now making $2,000 per sale. And then I also have, and every speaker eventually needs what's called a backend or a value ladder. So if you buy my $3,000 service, my or $3,000 event, I then have a next upsell or more intensive program that another small percentage will buy from there. And that's then becoming pure profit almost. So it's understanding your numbers uh, because if you if you can literally get 20 bucks a lead and, and 20% turn up, you're, you're going to do well. It just comes down to understanding the long-term strategy as well. Interesting. How many like live webinars have you done before you did that first speaking gig? So in 2020, I did um, two live webinars a week for a whole year. And that's how I got really good at speaking because it's, you actually have to be a better speaker online than in person. Like online, you have less chance, like you have less room for error because people can so easily leave a webinar. There's less energy, like there's less intensity it's harder to bring that up, right? So online webinars, I did like a hundred of them in, in a year and it made me very, very good at presenting on a screen and very, very good at then going on stage and doing it as well. So yeah, highly recommend. That's crazy. What sort of gave you the grit to do all a hundred without hitting sort of the 30th one and be like, it's all right, I'm going to download, save this one and make it automated. Like what kept you sort of doing the live ones for that long and not having sort of the, the trigger to just like, I want to automate it as quick as possible. Two reasons. First one is because every time I did it live, the, like the chat box is addict, addictive. Like it is just insane. Like live interaction is insane. And what even happens further than that is when I do it live, when you do it live, there are going to be comments. People are going to ask questions in the chat box. I take those comments. I take those questions. The next time I give a talk, I add those questions into my talk and now I handle them before they even come up. So I'm, I'm, the, the audience is kind of teaching me how to sell and speak even better because they're telling me what they need to learn. And that's, that's, that's the most important reason. The second important reason is when you try to take an online webinar to automate it, your, your, um, your conversion rate decreases dramatically. So you're going to lose. And, I, and I, I tried it. I tried it about, um, I tried maybe like a third of the way in. And the sales were not the same. The The result is not the same because when you're live, I, I can say, you know, I can say, right, um, Andy says this is the biggest issue and I can handle your issue live with you here. Where it's recorded, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. And then, so after 100 live webinars, you must have gotten your webinar super tight. It's now your baby. And you sort of just went off and did real life events rather than just going even harder on webinars. Well, yeah, I got it super tight. So then what happened was, well, 2020 was still with the pandemic. So I couldn't go in person just yet. So what I did was I then brought in celebrities online. And this is how I got my first celebrity branding. Now this, I think this is actually quite important. That's probably underestimated of what I did. I brought in Eric Thomas. My first, my first celebrity was Eric Thomas, ET. I brought him in. That gave me some credibility. Then I got Seth Godin. 
huge credibility. Now, Seth Godin, I had 3,000 people online. That was the biggest audience I spoke to in my life. So 3,000 people, and I was able to leverage that event to get other relationships. So that's when I was able to bring in Aaron Sansoni. So now what I did is I said, Aaron, I have 3,000 people coming to my event online with Seth Godin. Do you want to come and speak? And that established that relationship. So I brought him in to, to help me with that one. Then after Seth Godin, I had Naomi Simpson. Naomi Simpson, Australian, um, a bigger Australian audience. So that was, again, huge. 2021 20, comes around and we still have, and by this time I am tired from webinar. I'm tired. I want to go back in person. So 2021 comes around and we're still in, in Australia. We're still, we're still in and out of lockdowns, but we're, we're almost out of them. And I picked this time to take a massive risk. And that was to pull off an in-person tour in April with Mark Burris. Now there was no tours, no events up until this point, but to, except for before COVID. So it was a massive risk, but it was also a bigger opportunity for success because no one else had done it. And luckily enough, we, there was a lockdown in Brisbane like two weeks before the event and like two weeks after the event, we just got like, we just got in, but we pulled it off. And that was when I started going back to in-person events was the Mark Burris one. Did you have Mark Burris join one of the live webinars prior or was that your first time working with him? It was the in-person events. Yeah. So I, I tried to get Mark Burris uh, online and even before Eric Thomas and Mark Burris rejected me. So no, I, I, I tried and he said no. So it took a while. Interesting. And tell me about that sort of follow-up process. How did you sort of get to a point where it's like, he was like, okay, let's work together. Was it every time you'd finish a webinar, be like, hey, I just want to check in. This is the event I did with ABC. This is the numbers we pulled in. Still would love to work with you. And you would do that three, four times. He'll say no, no, no. And eventually it turns into a yes. No, so, I, so I'm, not, I'm, not a, I'm not a volume guy. I'm not a volume follow-up guy. I'm, I'm, I'm quite low touch. So what I, what I did was I just said, let's stepping stone it. So obviously when I addressed him first, he was going to be my first ever celebrity. I had, I had no leverage. I had no brain. I had nothing. So I said, let's just go back a few steps and try to find someone that maybe will work with me and let's go from there. So Eric Thomas was the first one because ET hadn't been doing many events and also because I had like, I kind of had a more of a story with ET. Like I had a photo with him in 2016 when he was here. There was a cooler story there. So he said, yes. Uh, when I had Eric Thomas, then I was able to use that. He has a big America. It's like a huge US brand. I was able to use that event to then get Seth Godin. And Seth Godin's in marketing, in business. Like he's, he's one of the best, one of the old school OGs. Like he's one of the best. So when I had Seth Godin, I could get anyone I wanted. And that's when Naomi said yes. That's when Mark Burris said yes. It was because I had those prior, that prior proof, that prior brand that made it a no-brainer. And when you bring on these guests, I guess they're coming on because you've been able to do decently well on your own with these webinars. So they wanted to sort of put together an online webinar with your sort of experience. What were you selling? Were you selling their products? Was it your products? Was it both? Um, was it just one big event or was it multi-day? Yeah, so normally, normally a celebrity will never sell. That they'll just want to um, do content, educate the audience, and uh, for them, it's a great way to give back to the audience. Essentially, so I normally just sell my service, which is the done for you marketing service, and they will just do a keynote for like an hour or something to teach the audience about what they're currently doing, what they learned, and things like that. So it's normally a one day event, so it's a full day, you know, or even a half day, but it's usually an eight hour, six hour event with the celebrity um, doing about one hour of that that content. Oh, wow. So that means they just come on and they just give straight value and you sort of bring them on as a speaker. 
Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Oh, and then I, I would have thought that like to get these people on as a speaker, you just sort of find their speaking fee and it's simply just paying that speaking fee. But I guess it's much harder than that. Well, yeah, there's a lot of people that want to pay the speaking fee. Like there's many offers that they get, but they look for like, they, they could just take anything to be honest, but they look for more brand alignment, more proof that it works. Like some of these speakers, they get paid the fees. And then what happens is the, the deal falls through after they've actually been paid and the event doesn't happen anymore. So there are different, there are different risks involved as a speaker, because imagine if, um, imagine if someone comes down to Australia, everyone buys tickets then it gets cancelled. Well, that's the promoter's fault usually or whoever's fault it is. So they've got to be careful of who they choose and who they work with. Got it. Wow. And then was it risky for you, Ethan? Sort of, did you know the numbers on, hey, it will cost $20,000 to get this speaker on for an hour? Would this extra $20,000 bring in more than $20,000 in like people showing up? Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't know the answer. I didn't know the answer. I think I think a lot. I think a lot of any entrepreneurial journey is the next answer is not going to be obvious. You're not going to actually have the the exact answer. I, I did not. I I thought I thought it would, but I I really I was just guessing to be honest. I was I had I'm, I was making educated bets on what I think was going to work. Interesting. And and what would the sort of online webinar format be? Would it be you introduce, they talk for an hour. Then you sort of go in on their presentation, they go off, and hopefully the people who came for, say, um, ET stayed for your part of the presentation. Or maybe you did it prior for, for that reason. Yeah, so when I, when I use the American celebrities, they, um, when I invite American celebrities, because of the time difference, they have to speak earlier in the day. So normally it would be like one speaker before the celebrity, then the celebrity comes on, then I may have two or three others. So with Seth Godin, that's what happened. I had about 3,000 people to start the event. I had one speaker before Seth. Then Seth came on second. And then I think I was on third. And maybe half the audience left, which is the risk that you take. That That's going to happen. When it's the Australian celebrity, I normally have them go last. And yeah, I think with Naomi Simpson, I just did a four-hour event. It was actually just me, one other speaker, and then her. So it was quite a short event anyway, not a big deal. So if, if you can, if you can leave them till the end, it's better for retention uh, even like even now with the bigger events like the one that you came to with goggins you would have seen me have two celebrities one at the start one at the end and that way people if they just want to come for the celebrities they can they can do that either or and for those they kind of love love the star they want to stay there for a bit longer and watch the whole day they can do that too so if it's a full day event in person i, I do like to have two draw cards if i can that's super cool ethan when you bring on celebrities are you sort of paying to get cheaper leads because now they're the face of the, the sort of event or are you paying for them to organically bring in more people from their end? Uh, so this comes down to how you negotiate the contract. Mm. So some celebrities will post on their socials and some will not. I Ideally, you want them to do that because it's going to help you get a lot, a lot more credibility. So with Goggins, one of the things that he did which was really incredible for us was he posted on his stories quite a number of times to obviously show the audience it was real because many people were saying there's no way Goggins is coming like this is not going to this is a scam this is a scam so he killed that very early on with the video with his posting on his Instagram account he killed it straight away which is great um Ned Brockman too Ned Brockman made a video and, he, and did a post for us so with Ned the post 
obviously also helped bring some organic people in from his audience that you know helped tremendously with ticket sales too so ideally the answer is you definitely want that um if you have a celebrity for sure do speakers ever sort of do like a joint venture or partnership with you or was it usually just like a one-time speaking fee um so i, I would say 99 percent of the time they will not do a joint venture with you it's too risky for their brand so if they're putting like imagine they're putting their name to your brand and you're selling something and then there's like a bad review or there's like a bad testimonial it gets back to them and they look bad so the answer is usually just speaking speaker fee got it and then when you sort of put together like for example the david goggins event you had like tons of speaker um besides the celebrity are the other speakers just coming on to like it's just an opportunity for them to speak and sort of share value and sort of talk about their program or do they pay to come on or do you pay them to come on hmm. so when you invite other speakers that are not draw cards um the idea is like to, to produce these kind of events there's a lot of like it's, it's a massive risk financially so you need to find a way to cover your costs and this is what a lot of people don't understand because a lot of the audience so there's in the audience, there's two kinds of people, right? There's the majority of people that are like, I love it, going just here, I love this event, it's incredible, I'm learning so much. But you have a small minority that don't actually get it. And what they will say to your events is, I'm just here for Goggins, who are all these randoms? Why are they selling stuff? Mm. So they don't understand to get Goggins here, to get anyone here in the first place, it's huge, it's a huge financial outlay that someone needs to be able to, to cover to get him in the first place, right? So when you have other speakers in here, you don't pay them anything. You take a percentage of their sales. So they go on stage, they share great content, and then you get a cut as the promoter and the producer of whatever they sell. Ideally though, you want to find the speakers that are not going to be too salesy because that's where there's a fine line. They, they, yes, they can sell stuff, but there's a way to do it. There's a way that is too salesy and there's a way that's more, like 98% education and 2% close. So you have to find the right balance as well. That's amazing. When you sort of did that first Mark Boris event after COVID, was that how many events, live events, in-person events did you do prior to that one? To Mark Boris, I would have done Colorado. I did um, San Diego, Los Angeles, Anaheim, and then twice in Singapore, twice in Malaysia. So we're looking at about yeah. Oh, and then there's three, probably 11, because there's three more. In a I say 11, 11 events. But they were small. They were tiny ones. Oh, wow. So you had a bit of experience getting venues, getting guests, selling tickets. Um, some of them were probably free. How many events did you have to get to? I know the first one, you sort of just lost the 10 grand. How many events was it until you were breaking even? It's the second, second event. The second event was really good for me. So after the first event, that Colorado one, I went back and I was I was quite annoyed at myself. I'm like, what am I doing? I obviously can't speak, can't sell. So I went back and, and reviewed my whole talk. My next talk was in Singapore. And Singapore is a place that I, I wanted to go to all the I wanted to go there so badly. I, I love the place. So I built a whole new talk for Singapore. I go there and I think I did about sixty thousand dollars that day. So that that covered all my costs and 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 got me in, in the black. So that was fantastic. And then after like so you did a bunch of speaking then COVID happened then you did live webinars for a year you did a hundred live webinars when you came back on your first event did your closing rate just skyrocket because you had so much practice that year when i went back in person it 100 did 
I had a lot more practice. I knew what I was talking about now. I had my structure in place. Yeah. And I had the branding as well. So yeah, 100%, tenfold. Yeah. Tell me about your sort of done for you sort of offer. Like, is it, do you, do you still run that? Are you mainly focus on the events or do you still help a lot of companies do their marketing? Uh, so yeah, so um, I have a few things that I do now. So one of those offers, the main offer that I sell is the done for you package. And that is we do we do people's marketing funnels and ads at you know quite an affordable price um, compared to other other people. So that offer there is for more of those people that are, that need marketing help that don't know how to really do it and they and they want to get started for as you know honestly it's probably the lowest price we could physically do it for. Um, and that is a done for you offer. I also have another offer now where I, where I help people become speakers. So that's a different company, different business called Iconic Speaker. And that's where we train the next the next presenters, the next closers on stage to learn how to to do all these different things as well. And and um that's there's a few offers there too. But the main offer that I sell on bigger stages is the is the five K done for you offer. Ethan, how do you juggle your time from fulfillment of all the offers to putting together events to the marketing to probably one-on-one -on -one coaching calls with clients that you that join your programs? How do you balance everything? <laughs> oh, well, I don't, I don't balance anything. I don't, there's, no, there's no balance. It's, <laughs> it's just I don't need to get done. So uh, for me, over the last few years, I've built a very uh, reliable team and that, that reliable team helps me fulfill a lot of the work. So uh, that, that that takes a big pressure off my plate because initially in 2019, 2018, even 2020 for a bit, I was the only one fulfilling. So I had to do everything and I was, that was nuts, but it was okay. So now I have a, have a great team that, that handles a lot of that work. And my, my main roles now are, you know, I, I don't really do one-on-one -on -one coaching, to be honest. I don't, I don't really, it, it kind of exhausts me. I don't really enjoy it. Um, I do it very, very rarely. So all my work now is focused on, on like very very high ticket clients so very highly big personal brands i will still look after them directly uh and then my own events i will look after directly it's it's me in the accounts doing all that stuff still and then from there it is just now speaking so my that's my main three roles what i'm kind of it, it is difficult like there's not going to make it sound like it's easy it's not because i do events for iconic speaker which which are all the time i do events myself with celebrities which are you know once, twice a year, which are huge, but eight months of planning and working that out. And then I have the, you know, some of the fulfillment for bigger clients as well and bigger events for them as well. So there's a lot on, but um, I make it work. I make it work pretty well at the moment and I'm in a good flow. Interesting. What's your like day-to-day -day hours like? Do you work like nine to nine? Oh, uh, it changes every, changes every day. So, um, so, normal, so normally... I spend a lot of the daytime in the morning. I will spend, so I spend the first couple of hours training in, in the gym, in a tennis. I still keep my physical uh, fitness up. That That's very important because as a speaker, speaking for two, three, 10 hours sometimes over three days, uh, you got to be fit. So I keep doing that in the morning and then I start working like maybe 11, 12 um, and I'll go to like sometimes 10, 11 PM if I have to, just depends on what I'm doing. Um, but yeah, just, just it's really every day is a bit different for me. Any sort of people in the event space that you sort of follow and sort of get inspiration from? And I've also heard, is this true? Like I've heard that the event space is very hard. Like not many people can even profit or break even on events. Is that true? 
Yeah, so it depends on your strategy. Most people can't make money on ticket sales, never, no. But yeah. most people also don't know how to pull it off um, correctly. It's a very risky industry. It's especially at the bigger, like at the bigger level, the celebrity level, it's a much riskier industry. At a small starting up level by yourself, like that's how I started up by myself. It's not, it's not as risky, it's not as hard. Um, you can make that work. You can actually make that work very, very well. Uh, it just it just comes down to the strategy, the right support, and stuff like that. But for me, right now, a lot of the big speakers that I used to look up to or used to get ideas from, a lot of them are my clients now. So we do bounce around ideas, and and you know, it, it, the good thing about this industry is when you kind of break through the plateau, there's a very few amount. There's, there's not that many speakers out here. So those that have kind of done something really, really good, we all kind of know each other to an extent. So. It is good like that. Um, I think the biggest, yeah, I still think the biggest speaker I learned the most from is still JT because he's still he's still the best closer on the planet and he's still the best presenter. So a lot of my initial style, because I'm I'm usually a very timid person off stage, and his style of talking was very, you know, what I would have called you know aggressive in your face and and the opposite of what I was. So I wanted to be that. So I tried to integrate as much as his kind of style of talking as I could when I was starting out. And even to this day, like he still gives me advice or he still, you know, helps me out when I need it. Um, because I think, I think he's the one I learned the most from still, uh, as well as Sheree, like Sheree, Sheree's a phenomenal speaker with the emotion and the story. And because I, in the way that I speak, I'm, I'm not, I don't have much emotion. I'm, I'm very much direct. I'm very much logical. She, I learned heaps from her as well. I, I still learn lots from her as well. Um, because I learned how to bring in the emotion and the storytelling from her. So I think those two have a great contrast and those are the two I learned the most from, from a how to speak point of view and, and structuring events. It's all JT because JT has worked with over a hundred celebrities. And so he, he kind of put the vision in my head those years ago, like these are the celebrities that you can do things with. And I'm like, well, how you pull that off, teach me. And so those two are the ones. One thing I'd love to sort of get your inside thoughts on, like when I think of events, I think of Grant Cardone, 10X event, big, tons of celebrities, a bunch of people on the card. But in my mind, it's like, that must be very, very expensive. It's like 10 celebrities is like 50 times the cost and you might only 10X ticket sales, but tickets, and then they have big giant venues. So like they're no way making money back on ticket sales. And even if they get sponsors, it's like, like how does Grant make it work? Yeah, so that's a great question. When you have that many celebrities, like for me and and for the average person, it's going to cost a lot of money to get those people in here. I don't know how Grant affords that. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if the events are profitable. I have no idea. But for the average person, like for the average speaker, it's it's you know for me, it's it would be impossible to pull that off. That I couldn't be able to afford it. So. My yeah, my strategy is get one or two. Like start with one or two, and then go from there. Like that's that that's crazy what he what he was doing. Because you're right. Like even if you bring in two celebrities or three, you don't double ticket sales. You don't triple ticket sales. There's not a correlation. So you get diminishing returns. So when he gets ten x the speakers, it's like massive diminishing returns. Yeah, it it definitely can. It definitely can be. Sometimes other celebrities will help increase the sales but yeah most of the time when you have 10 to 15 like there comes to a point where it's just it's just it, it will diminish the ticket sales and there's not going to be a, a net benefit for sure so yeah i'm not sure about the numbers behind those kind of events i, I don't i'm not i don't know how he does it no idea 
Ethan, when you put together these events, do you also have to plan out like the hotel, the accommodation, the, the flight tickets for the speakers, the celebrity, even the crew, the team, the team sort of moves with you? Do you have to figure, and then there's like probably like 20, 30, 50 people that you have to do this for, or do they just figure it themselves? Yeah, so when you have the celebrity, you do have to organize all the flights, the even the transport, the security, the accommodation, every single bit. Um, for me though, I quite, I quite enjoy the logistic aspect of it because it's not, for me, I'm very, I'm very logical left, but I can organize things very easily. So yes, it, it can be quite detail oriented to do that kind of stuff, but I, I kind of, I kind of, I kind of like that. Um, and then you also have to organize like the visas and the oh. you know, lots, lots of things to think about hundred percent. But once again, you kind of learn as you go One, once you do like one or two venues, you get an idea of how to negotiate the venues properly and how to get the, the prices quite well. So, um, yeah, it's not a big deal. Given that there's so much work up front, with each event you do, is it hugely profitable where you can do that full time or do you rely on the back end? You rely on this sort of reach and growth in personal brand. Is that the main goal or could you literally just do it off each event? Um. Yeah, so in in an ideal world, you would love to build a personal brand that can kind of just you can leverage organically, get people in. But it's you still need the advertising. Like even with um the Goggins event, when we started off that that campaign, we would just post organically. Didn't work. We had maybe a hundred sales, actually probably a bit less. When we did ads though, it just it it was just insane. So every event is different. Every event requires a new marketing piece, a new campaign, new strategy. Um so yeah, you, you can't really rely on the personal brand on its own anymore to, to fill up an event of 3000 people, so to speak. Got it. If I were to rephrase the question, why do you, Ethan, like putting together events? It's so hard. It's so difficult. So what, why do you do it? Why do I like it or why do I do it or both? I guess both. Yeah. Is it like, besides being fun, like, is it hugely profitable? So it makes it worth it. Or is there another reason why you love doing these difficult things. I love doing the difficult things because of why you asked me the question, because people think like, why the hell are you doing this? Like, this is ridiculous, right? Yeah. I, I get motivated by doing things that most people would either be too intimidated to do or too afraid to even try. I'm not even think about doing in the first place. It just, it just motivates me. It, it gets me excited because, you know, I, I know I tell my story about when Kobe died, when Kobe died, I was like, let's just like, let's just live life and do, and do things that are, that a bit crazy bit out there and 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 try something different. So we're not going to go to the grave with money left over. We're not going to keep our money with us, you know? So I'm, I'm just thinking, well, what can I do that has the, how can I, how can I tell the best story? How can I make this the best story possible for however many years I have, I have left and what's going to excite me? What's going to inspire other people to maybe do the same thing or, or change their life as well. Let's go and do that. So Although yes, it is profitable and that's also exciting, but the most exciting thing is being able to do something that most people can't do. And it, it does, I think, I think I've, I think I figured out why that excites me it's because all my life I was insignificant. I had, I had no voice, couldn't talk to anyone, no idea what I was doing. I had no friends. I, I build significance by being different. So all my life since that time has just literally been building that significance because I'm trying to overcome that insignificance. And that, that's probably at a deeper level why I do it as well. But um, consciously, I, I, just love, I just love being different right now. That's super cool, Ethan. 
what do you see or where do you see these events long term is your long term goal to build it up where it's like a company like success resources and just have events all the time do you see like what's a long do you want to just get bigger and bigger celebrities and and sort of have like elon musk at one of your future events in the future what's a long-term vision yeah i don't i don't know where like honestly my my short-term vision was let's get through goggins and gary and let's let's have have a rest fine let's just have a rest fine let's just have a breath um but you know i don't i don't know i've just i've just had conversations with with um someone about other potential events that that are that sound very exciting as well so long term i'm not sure i don't i don't want to be a success resource i think that i think that yeah that's not what i'm trying to go for um uh, but to bring to bring other inspiring people down here and to to maybe be maybe be the biggest promoter of of these kind of events for the next few years would be would be quite a challenge and quite exciting but i honestly don't know the answer i don't know where, where i want to go right now and that's been the kind of theme of my last few years. I kind of figure it out as I go. There, 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 there was not a there was not a three year plan to get Gary. There was not a three year plan to get Goggins. It was this is what I want to do right now. Let's just make it happen. So I'm not a massive planner to be honest. I'm not a massive planner. In the event space, is there like a pinnacle? Like are the big festivals like Tomorrowland or like big soccer games? Like are those the pinnacle events and are they like really profitable? But then again, they have big venues, so the expenses are really high. Yeah, like the music festivals, I'm not, I'm not too sure because I've never been in the music space or, or the festival space. I don't have any intention to go there. Um, same, with, same with sport. It's a, different, it's a different beast altogether. So I imagine it would be profitable because they can sell tickets without as much advertising required and they're not paying money for they're not paying as much money for um bigger celebrities and they're getting more people in there so i, th I think it would be profitable for sure uh but the pinnacle the pinnacle of any of i think the pinnacle the pinnacle events are those ones that are like the ed sheeran event whereas like 10 that like mcg's mcg's full 100 100 people it's huge that's the pinnacle event um not my goal to do that at all i like personal development i like this industry so yeah but that's the pinnacle i think when running ads for like ticket sales, is it as simple as, you know, it's $150 a ticket, make sure CPA is below 150, but then you also need to take into account the speaker costs and the venues, and you somehow figure out how much that costs, and you're like, I need a CPA below 75 to be break even. And how do you even know that's the break even point? Yeah, so I, I, don't, I don't base on any CPA. What I do is I, before the event starts, I will get an analysis of all the costs. And I'll summar I'll summarize all those costs and it'll give me a final number. So let's say it's one million dollars. So I, then I have to make a plan to over the next six months make a million dollars profit, and then I can choose. And then day to day, what I do every single day is I go and get how much I spend on ads. What's the revenue? What's the net profit? If the profit is more than the spend, I just keep increasing the spend. Literally, I'll just every single day I do the same activity every single day. Um, and that's how I, so I do it based on day to day. If I make a thousand dollars today and I can do the maths, all right. If I do a thousand dollars a day for the next six months, that's going to be 180 grand. I need to make like three times more than that. So we got to add more in. So I just do it based on every single day. Wow. And, and I just realized with these events, there's a lot of upfront costs. Um, is it easy to like get business loans, sort of credit lines, or do you just front everything yourself, Ethan? I've always been one to avoid any loans. So 
I always front it myself. And that comes also to being able to negotiate the payments. So don't try to pay everything up front. Don't try to pay all the venues day one or the celebrities day one. Try to space out over like months or just, just delay it. The ticket sales start coming in and they can cover the cost as you go. That's how I've always done mine with, with the paid events. With the free events, that's when you require upfront costs. So that will cost like, <clears throat> for the first iconic speaker ones, cost $70,000 to pull off four events. And that was all upfront costs because they were free events. So that, that's where it comes a bit different is you got to go upfront with that one. But for the paid celebrities, you can do it monthly. With a lot of your ticket ads, are you targeting cold audiences or is it a lot of just retargeting based on the celebrity? Uh, it's 90% cold, 10% retargeting. So the, the focus is on purely a cold audience, really. How do you make cold work? Because I know people try, like people struggle to like sell, like it's impossible to sell like a $100 digital product on Facebook ads profitably. Your CPA is usually double the cost of the digital product. Yeah, 100% because people are trying to go for a low ticket sale too early in the process and no one's going to give you a credit card if they have no idea who you are. For an event, it's different because for an event, the reason that they're going to buy a ticket is because they want to see celebrity or, or they want to see someone. So that's different. For And that's why the free event model works for, for no celebrities, right? So for, for the other events that I run that are still free events to this day, they work because we're not going to ask you for a credit card today. We're going to ask you to come for free spend a few, a few hours with us at the end of those hours, we're going to make you an offer. And after you know us, after you like us already, after you know the offer, that's when you'll buy. So it's more of a longer process than just going add, buy an online course. See you later. It's, it's, it's that, that, that doesn't work anymore at all, really at all. Interesting. And like, what are you doing differently when it comes to selling the tickets for these celebrities? Like how come these celebrities would struggle? to run ads with their own content, their own face and sell a digital product or even an event, they would struggle whereas you can somehow make it work, Ethan. Well, I think, I think it's just, yeah, I think, I think it's more the advertising, um, the skill set. Like they don't, they don't have the skill to, to run the ads. <clears throat> um, you know, marketing is always required to get the message out there. So unless they have an inbuilt marketing team, I think that, they just don't know how. They just don't know how to run ads. They don't know how to run the funnels. Don't know how to structure the event. Don't know how to produce the event. Most of the celebrities, they want to do what they're good at, which is speaking and inspiring an audience. They don't want to have to think about the logistics or everything else. So that's when that's what the hole that I can fill for them is is complementary tasks like that. Interesting. Besides the nuances, do you sort of keep it simple? It's like get a ad creative on the celebrity, target the celebrity, target David Goggins send them to a landing page and then check out? Or is it much more in depth than that? No, I, I like to start very simply like that. I like to start very simply. So <clears throat> I'll normally make an image ad um, with, with the celebrity in it. So that's the main draw card. And then, yeah, literally while targeting, some celebrities you can target, some you can't. So you can't really, you can't target Goggins, you can target Gary Vee. But what we're seeing anyway with the Gary V ads, the targeting that's more broader anyway is still working better than the Gary V targeting. So that's much of a muchness really. But yeah, I like to do the image first. And then once they make a video, the video's next and the video normally works a lot better because they're saying, I'm here, I'm coming, you know, buy tickets. So that works a lot better as well. But yeah, I think simple is the best way to start off with. And then you only have to change that 
once you hit ad fatigue and when, when you start losing money on the ad spend. But yeah, that that's just the ongoing optimization kind of thing. When you partner up with these celebrities, Ethan, mm. how do you sort of maintain trust? Like what's stopping a stranger from just pretending, hey, um, Gary Vee is going to be in Perth. Um, here's the tickets, buy now. And it's just some yeah. random website that's on the running. Yeah, good question. So they would get sued. Not not by well not by me but by the celebrity. So yeah, there's people like even when we started running any ads for any celebrity, these people get so many DMs, tags, like they see these things. If someone was to make a fake event with this person, they would they would find out very quickly and they would get sued a lot of money, if not if not even worse. Like I don't know what the the laws are in different cities about imperson impersonation, but I would I would consider they'd be pretty pretty bad. Um, so. Yeah, I think if anyone was trying to do a fake event, they, they get caught pretty quickly. Got it. Ethan, I want to be respectful of your time. I don't know how much time you have. I, I really want to dig into the David Goggins and Gary Vee story. Um, how's your time looking? Yeah you, yeah, you can dig. You can go. Perfect. Um, yeah, tell me, how did you do the David Goggins? That was like, that's how I found about you. What's the story behind that? Was it just like a cold email? Hey, we did it with Seth Gong. Would you want to come to Australia? And that's a long way for him. Uh, yeah, so... So Goggins, I reached out to a year before a year before the event, and I said, "Do you want to do a virtual event? What's the what's the virtual fee for for you?" They said he doesn't do virtual. He doesn't do virtual at all. So I'm like, yeah. "All right, that's that's not ideal." Because we were actually we were still that's why we were still in um, pandemic laws, or we were, or there was some kind of restrictions on events still when I reached out to him. So I wanted to do an online one, couldn't do it. So then I waited. I waited till the laws lifted and that, that people could move freely and that we can do events properly. Once they lifted, then I reached out again and I said, how much does it cost to have Goggins come to Australia? And and they said, look, um, you know, we have a, Goggins has a huge audience in Australia. Like, it'd be awesome. We'd love to do it. Um, you know, but it has to be the right fit, the right audience. Who are you? Like, they had to do it. They do diligence, obviously. So it was a conversation, just a conversation about um, what our plan was, what our strategy was, you know, who I was, like, why, why, this random person in Australia wants to do this. Like what, what is going on here? Uh, so it was like a whole 12 month conversation. And, and then, you know, I I had to do my due diligence as well, because I don't know, you know, how many of his followers or his fans live in Australia. I don't know Like they could all be American. So I had to also do um, that due diligence. Once we both were happy with what was going to happen, then we just got to work. Really, I mean, to be honest, out of everyone I've worked with, they were by far, by far the easiest, smoothest, no hassle. It was just so easy. The whole process was just so easy um, to work with them. Like him, his team, everyone involved. It was it was so smooth. But yeah, that's how it happened. Ethan, given it's such a long process, they're doing their due diligence, you're doing your due diligence. Yeah. That means you have to be sort of talking and sort of having conversation with multiple sort of potential sort of guests for your next event, right? Because these conversations can just go on forever, right? For most people, yes. For me, no. Mm. Because I only want to work with those people that I look up to. So that was another thing that I that I do is I don't just get anyone. I don't I don't like I could I could have gotten about 10 other speakers, but I didn't I didn't actually relate to them personally and I didn't relate to them. I, I wasn't looking up to them. I, I didn't really know who they were. With Goggins, someone I relate to heaps for many reasons someone that I look up to for, for, for a few years now. 
Uh, same with Gary. Like these people that I choose have stories that I can connect with and that, 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 that relate to me. So from a business perspective, it's probably a bad idea. Like from, from a business point of view, it's like you could get anyone, like why you just want to get those people. But for me personally, like I don't, I, that's, that's what I want to do. I just want those that I actually, actually like. So, um, so I was not talking to anyone else during that time. It was just, it was Goggins or yeah, Goggins or bust. Honestly, there was no, there was no backup plan at all. And then given that it's 12 month planning, in between, are you sort of still doing live online webinars? Are you still doing in-person free sort of workshops? Um, or are you just at home talking to Goggins and Gary? Uh, so I was doing other events. So I was doing, I was a guest speaker for other events with Janine Ellis, um, Naomi Simpson, Turia Pitt. So Aaron Sansoni invites me to speak his events. So during that year, I was talking at his events and, and traveling Australia um, at, at his events as well. So that's what I was doing that year when you have all those sort of speakers that are not on the card do you also have to figure out their flights and their accommodation or are they more independent no if you're going to have someone speak on your event they need to pay for their own and work out their own accommodation and travel like when you're the one putting the people in the room and you're, you're taking the massive risk everyone relies on you like you are you are the person that, that is doing this otherwise they could have just done it, right? They could have pulled it off if, if they could do it. So no, when, you, when you're inviting someone else, you allow them to make their own arrangements to, to make it work for them. Are you currently in talks with any other celebrities for any potential future events at the moment? Or is it just you want to get Gary Vee done and then take a breather? Or are you already thinking of the next event? I was going to take a breather and someone, one of my clients invited me to produce another event and speak at an event in September with a, pre a pretty big name. So I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to do that. And the ads are probably going to go live this week. So you're probably going to see it in the next week or two. But there is, you know, like it's it's a big it's a big enough name that most people in the personal development industry will know them. Um, I personally haven't had much to do with them in the past, but I'm doing the ads and running the, running the funnels for the event. So I'm going to speak there as well. And then there are there are talks with um, other people. I'll just say other people for November this year and then next year as well. So although I said I wanted to have a bit of a break, uh, when you when you have when you have the hot button, when you, when you are the person people want to kind of do work with, I don't think you can you know give that up and and delay it. I think you just have to take all the opportunities. That's that's what I'm doing right now. I'm trying to think like. Besides you, Ethan, I can't think of any other sort of Australian-based sort of personal development events company that's bringing people overseas to Australia. There were success resources, but I haven't seen them in a while. Is there anyone else besides you? So there are people doing events that are, you know, like a one-hour or two-hour event. Like, um, for example, Obama was here for like one hour or two hours with... Look at this, Barack Obama. Yeah, he was here this week with um, Growth Faculty uh you had Eckhart Tolle I think a couple yes. weeks ago but th those events are very different like they're just one or two hours with the with the main person and that's it yes. so those events yes there are other people doing that but not not these kind of level not, not this kind of events they're not doing they're not doing that no is Eckhart Tolle just going through like an agency that would handle the ticket sales bring him to Australia or was it a similar setup for you where it's like the organizer is like doing the numbers and they're like a part of it it'd be the promoter the promoter would be the one organizing it but 
yeah, the promoter is usually the one that has all the risk involved. Um, but some celebrities are different. Like some will, some will do it themselves, and the promoter will just be there to assist in the in the smooth transition. But yeah, usually the promoter takes the risk. So. Oh wow! So that means the promoter or like promoters in general, if they were sort of bringing Eckhart Tolle to Australia. They're sort of fronting a similar amount of risk as you, maybe a bit less because they don't have like a crazy setup, but they're like fronting a lot of the risk. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly wow. Right. Yeah. This whole time, every time I would see like Eckhart Tolle, I would, I, I would have thought that he's selling the tickets, but now it looks like he's like, usually it's speaker fees and then the promoter selling tickets. Like, wow, like I never, this is a whole new world. Yeah, that, that's, that's exactly right. That's how it works. Yeah, yeah. Do you, um, when you sort of had um, David Goggins come over, do you, did you spend that week with him? Are you sort of with him a lot of the time or do you only see him at the events? Is there a lot of one-on-one -on -one time? Do you guys have dinner afterwards? So every celebrity is different, obviously. Um, so every, everyone's different. I'll say that. Everyone's different. Okay. Goggins was by far, like literally the most personable person. I think I, I you know, what you see is what you get with him. Like I, I was surprised at how, how open and how um how humble this guy he's, he's just an incredible person so with david one story that was that kind of stood out for me was uh, you know obviously we organized all these travel with the cars and everything and the flights whatever so we get we land in brisbane and you know his his car is there he's going to his car then he comes back out of his car to try to find us and he says guys the car is massive Come in, come in the car with us to the hotel. So obviously we said, like we said no, because we were like, we don't want to step on your toes. But the next time he's, he did it again. We, we So we, we did drive with him in the cars. Um, there were two dinners that we had that were public dinners that we that we sold as a offer. So we had two public dinners with him, but we also had uh, lucky enough to take him and his family out to a dinner um, that was at the end of the tour, kind of last night, like, like as a goodbye. So, you know, spent plenty of time together and um yeah, it's it's not common for someone of his I'm not gonna say celebrity because he doesn't like that word at all. No, no, not a celebrity, but someone of his kind of um nature and someone that that's that well known in the public, it's not common for in my experience for, for personal brands to to be so um you know open to communicate and so so easy to talk to. That's probably what I'll say. He was, he's incredible. He's an incredible guy. To pass on the compliment to you, Ethan, I was talking to some of the security guards from the David Goggins event and how they helped me get the mic. And they were, were just chatting and they are like, yeah, like Ethan is super nice. Like they've had dinners with you. You're super switched on. Um, they've learned so much just hanging around with you because I think the security guards are like your personal security guards. So they said the exact same thing that you're sort of saying about David Goggins. Oh, that's cool. One of the, so the head of security was um, head of the security is is my current strength coach. So we know each other quite well. Um, and yeah, then he he helped out with all security. So he got all his friends, and that was awesome as well. But yeah, I know those guys. Yeah, they were they were, they were cool. What were your biggest takeaways from the David Goggin event? Putting it together. Yeah, biggest takeaways. Um, you know, like honestly, there's so many things that I could say that I just don't know even where to start. Like. To be fully honest with you, when the events ended, I had about maybe two weeks of just being switched off and, and dead. And then I was straight back into other events. 
actually it was a week i had one week off and that was back into other events so i haven't even had a chance to really let it sink in yet to be honest has not sunk in at all what, I, what, what we've done um and i think the biggest the biggest takeaways were that yeah like how like how to produce a massive audience like that how to how to work with celebrity like over that amount of time how to speak on a bigger stage like this in person and, and command an audience for, for hours uh, over different events, how to, how to logistically organize all these different things and pull it together. I think, I think for me now it's more of a confidence that I can do it again. And that that's probably the biggest takeaway. I, I know I can do it again now because I've just pulled it off. When was like the moment of relief? Was it when David was in Australia? Was it when you got the first of the three cities done or was it when everything was completed? Oh, there were a few moments. The first, the first moment of relief was when he landed and passed through customs and got to his hotel in Australia. When he <laughs> got to his hotel, I'm like, all right, he's actually, uh, that's all. <laughs> the second moment of relief was when he walked on the stage for the first time, because now he's on the stage. Now he's done it. He's, he's here. We've done it. You know, he's actually on the stage. And the third moment was when the last, when the last event ended, that was just like, oh, we've, we actually worked this out in its entirety. And that was, that was huge. So those are the big three moments, I think. Did David like stay in Australia to like travel for one or two weeks after? Or did he go straight back to America? No, so he, he went back home um, pretty, uh, yeah, after the last event, he went, went kind of back home after a couple of days. But he had a few days off here. So he had a few days off that he was, you know, able to do things that he wanted to do. Um, so he had a few days off. And Ethan, what were the biggest fires that, that you put out during that event? Like what could have make or break things, but you sort of solved it? Um, biggest fires. You know, I'll be honest with you. Like this event was probably the smoothest one that I've ever run in my life. Uh, yeah, there was there was one kind of semi-fire, but um, that was that was not an issue. And then... You know, to be honest, to be honest, there was there was really no major point that I was like, this could mess up. Um, like the ads went well, the finals went well, the people all turned up. The like the the fire, there was no fire. The only thing that was an issue was I didn't expect this. Was there was some there were some people that were sending me hate messages after my first talk. Like I I'd actually come up to this point, I'd never received a hate message. Um except for like one at the Mark Burris one. After my first talk in Melbourne at the Goggins one, I, I had like five or six and I was not used to that. So I was like, what is, what is going on here? Um, so that was the only thing that was like kind of negative. But other than that, yeah, there were, there were no, there were no big issues. Okay. What do you think was like the hardest part of putting together that event then? The hardest part of putting the event, the hardest part was actually taking the risk. So there was a, there was a time probably a month in, where I was like, what have I done? Can I can I just cancel my contract? Can I just get out of this? Yeah. So my one thing I freaked out. One thing I was like, this is a big risk. I have no idea what's gonna happen or if this guy's gonna even turn up. I don't even know like what I, what am I doing? I'm in over my head. So I wanted to pull out. Um, but you know, I didn't. So yeah, that that was the that was the hardest thing was just establishing the emotions initially was were the hardest things. Last thing I want to dive into. Tell me about the Gary V story. Congratulations on that event. I, I'm, I'm seeing the promotion. I'm seeing your post. Massive congratulations. What's the story there? I'm a big fan of Gary as well. Yeah. So Gary, 
when I was starting from nothing, I wanted to have that business, that first one I told you about. So I picked up a Gary book in like 2015, 2016, Crush, Crush It or what, Get Crush It, I think it was. I would watch all his videos, Ask Gary V, like every every week, Ask Gary V, Ask Gary. I was watching all those things. Um, he came to Australia, had no friends, and I had no money to afford a ticket. So I go to my mum. I said, mum, can you get me a ticket to this event? And also, can you come with me? Because I, I don't want to go alone. I don't want to go alone. And I definitely don't have anyone else to invite. So she comes with me come, and, and we go see Gary. At that event is where I watch all these other speakers as well. And, I, and I'm like, wow, this is, this is an incredible industry. And um, yeah, so Gary was the first person that I went to go and see. He was the first person that kind of gave me the, strat- the tactics to launch online business. Um, and I always kind of said, well, in a, in a dream reality, that's the guy that I want to meet, that I want to work with, that I want to talk to. That like, that's the guy. And and um, yeah, that like that it's it's a whole it's a whole full circle for me because that was the first event I went to as, as an attendee, and it's now one that I get to put on for other people as well. So I'm I'm, I'm very happy that I can do that now. And was it similar? Did you start talking with this team around the same time one year ago? Or how did that communication come into? Did you just reach out and be like, hey, I'm a big fan. I'd love you to come to Australia. Yeah, no, he gets too many DMs for that. So <laughs> 2020, is, I know exactly what I did with Gary. So 2020, I emailed his team and I said, I want to do a virtual with Gary. Now, this was before Seth Godin, right? So they say, sure, we can do that, but here's the fee. And I'm like, oh, I, I don't have that fee. I can't afford that fee. That's not going to happen. So... That didn't work. Uh, then I go forward a few a few years later. We get to about, I think it was December last year. So at the tail end of Goggins, right? Tail end of Goggins promotion, when I was kind of confident that it was going to work, that it was going to be profitable. So I said to them, look, I'm pulling off this event right now. If it goes well, would Gary be interested to come to Australia? So what you might not know, though, this is kind of interesting is he was supposed to come here in November last year, mm-hmm. but it fell through and it got cancelled. I don't know why. I don't really care why, but it didn't, didn't come through. So as fate would have it, December comes around and I'm like, does he want to still come because I can maybe pull it off? And they say, we'd be open to it. If the if it goes well with Goggins, we'd be open to it. So it goes well with Goggins and then, you know, we say, let's do it, lock it in. And then it's, you know, that, that, that was how it happened. So it's literally four months ago. Literally, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is so cool. And besides, like, so he was supposed to come last November. When he comes to Australia, does he also knock out a bunch of other things on top of the speaking event? And that's sort of why he has a bunch of things that he'd want to come to Australia for? Or is it just for the speaking gig, you probably? He's just coming for the events. So it's just coming. Yes. And he, well, he also has like um, a head office in Sydney. So I think he'll go probably see his team there and, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, see them as well. But yeah, I mean, he's coming for the events predominantly. Mm-hmm. That's super cool. Yeah, that, that is so freaking amazing. Congratulations on putting together um, Gary V and, and David Goggins, Ethan. Last question, any sort of dream guests that you haven't got in touch with, but you eventually would want to manifest? Yeah, well, so the top two on the list that are you know, extremely out there, are going to be like close to impossible. Elon Musk and Michael Jordan. That's that's the two. But, uh, yeah, that's not going to be easy. That's that's going to be difficult. You can do it. Damn, that's super cool, Ethan. 
Thank you so much for your time today. Ethan, where can people find more about the events you're putting together to make this evergreen? Where can people just find more about you, Ethan, and whatever events you're putting together? Yeah, so you can find me, like my, my best platform is Instagram. So ethan.donati, D-O-N-A-T-I. Our website is the same, ethandonati.com. And yeah, the event is called Mindset Matters. And that's the links on my Instagram, on my website. It's all, it's all on there, mindsetmattersconference.com.au. Um, but that's the best place to, to come and find me. Thank you so much, Ethan. I had so much fun in this episode. I learned so much. We were able to go deep and go broad and you, you're definitely in the dirt. You've done everything inside out. You were able to answer little questions to like CPay to bigger picture things. And you've definitely done every single part of the process, like freaking doing like figuring out the flights, the hotel, like you know everything because you've probably done it all yourself. And I just love how transparent you are, down to earth, humble. I learned so much. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. It's been a pleasure. Guys, if you made it this far, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Please drop me, message me on Instagram. I'd love to get your feedback on the episode. Any any improvements? I've been loving all the feedback from these episodes. Hopefully, you guys got in some value today and it was worth your time. Today, Ethan dropped so many golden nuggets. So this is definitely an episode I highly recommend you guys to rewatch. And I'll see you guys next week with another episode. Peace.